hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. Hey, it's good to be back. I took a break last week. I was able to catch up on a whole bunch of reading. So I think I'm set for a while. Maybe we'll take another break here in August. Today, we're going to be spending a good bit of our time on healthcare in retirement. And I think this is an incredibly important subject, especially now, because In the U.S., we have about 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day, and one of their biggest expenses in retirement is going to be their health care costs. So in just a few minutes, I'm going to bring on the expert. That's Kevin Peters. Kevin is a CLU. That's a certified life underwriter. And Kevin specializes in things like long-term care, disability, and health insurance, as well as various other business insurance planning programs. So we'll have him on in just a few minutes. In the meantime, let's catch up on the market uh, real quick, and then we'll bring on Kevin. Stocks are basically at the same point they were at the beginning of the year. Despite some of these terrific single-day moves in both directions, we have a market stalemate. And this stalemate is not just well-documented, but It's well-balanced too. And since we're about mid-year, let's look back for a second. The market hit the high watermark of 28.73 back on January 26th. And then we kind of fell apart and we bottomed out on February 8th at 25.81. So about a 300-point decline. Right now, we're hovering around this mark. That's about 5% from the top and about 5% from the bottom. Yeah, we have some distinct positives and some distinct negatives, all of which are well-known to investors. The positives are a strong domestic economy, confident consumers. We have soaring earnings. And then on the negative side, you have rising interest rates, inflation fears, and potential trade wars. And there's, of course, a bunch of other things you could throw on either side of the ledger here, but those should suffice for now. To me, the market seems to be wandering aimlessly. Before I have any real conviction that the market is headed higher, I'm going to need to see a couple of days of overwhelming positive buying. I've said this before. I need to see nine to one upside for at least a couple of days before I become convinced that we're off to the races again. Which brings up another question. Should I have sold in May and gone away. You've heard that before, right? Sell in May and go away, come back in you know, late September, October. A lot of folks consider the beginning of June through the end of September, basically dead money. They don't make anything. You know me, I don't listen to those types of things. I let the fundamentals do the driving and I don't try and time the market. That's why I think only investors with incredible market timing skills and the confidence should exit the markets during the summer. And that's basically no one. Historically, if you break the market down into thirds, that's time-wise, the first and last third of the year have been the best and the middle third, well, it doesn't really account for much. But again, 
once you start accounting for the cost and the complications of rotating in and out of stocks, not to mention the incredible timing required, I just don't think it's worth it. I looked at a period from 1980 on, and over that time, May posted an average gain of, of exactly 1%, surprisingly. So May was up 1%. June, well, June was off just fractionally. I think it was like three-tenths of a percent for a decline. July was the best month, if you don't include May, and it averaged just less than 1% as far as a gain. And it's probably because that's when earnings announcements came out. August, August averages a decline of about two-tenths of a percent, and September is the worst of them all over the years that I looked at. September's average decline was about three-quarters of a percent. So I sat down, I netted all this out, and the market from May 31st to October 1st averaged about a 1% gain since 1980. Not a great third of the year, but It's not like you've had to sell in May and run for the hills. It's not like we had huge declines on average during that time period. There are, of course, many variations on this theme. The most encouraging is that during the current bull market, summers have been pretty productive. Instead of starting at 1980, I went back and I started at 2009 when the bull market started. And since that time, the market has averaged a 3.3% gain during the summer months. I guess if you sat down and you tortured the numbers long enough, they'll tell you anything you want them to, right? My advice is to buy good quality stocks when you think that you're getting a good deal, when you're getting good value. Calendars are for daily planning, not for setting an investment agenda. Let's step away for a minute, take a short break. And when we come back, We'll be talking about healthcare and retirement, and we'll have Kevin Peters on. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing, and we are back in just a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. So glad to have you today. Sitting next to me, as promised, is Kevin Peters. And Kevin is our expert on healthcare. And Kevin, let's talk about healthcare today, specifically healthcare and retirement. And I know this is a big subject and there's no way we're going to be able to cover it all today, but let's try and hit some of the basics and, you know, we'll have you back on in, on future shows. But before we start that, why don't you, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. First off, Eric, uh, I started in the industry, it's hard to believe, about 20 years ago and uh, basically just doing insurance initially, um, also a financial consultant, um, a 
CLU, which is a fancy uh, designation for Chartered Life Underwriter. I was going to say, I looked at your business card and I saw all these letters uh, after it. And right, obviously right. you're a smart guy here. Right, right. Well, that gives you a little bit more credibility in the industry, but certainly the experience helps a lot too. Um, so yeah, doing this for about 20 years, I joined XML Financial in 2004 at their start. Um, so I run the independent insurance agency wing of XML Financial Group. So uh, Terrific. it's been great. So, so you're the expert. So let's pretend that I'm getting ready to retire. Maybe I'm a couple of years off, but I'd like to plan ahead. I like to think about what, you know, what's going to happen and what do I have to do? And I hope most people are thinking that way too, but let's pretend I'm getting ready to retire. What should I be thinking about? Well, the hard thing for people that are getting ready to retire and health insurance issues is that um, for most of their, their adult life, if they've had a steady job, they haven't had to focus on health insurance too much as it's been a part of their employment benefits. So as retirement approaches, um, it's important to understand what the options are and how to go about it. So most people, the first place that they think of is Medicare. Right. Right. And so, nobody knows about it. If you're working now, nobody knows about Medicare, Medicaid, right. you know, they don't Just, know the difference unless they're caring for their parents. Sure. That's or a their, example. Their, and and that's becoming more and more common. Sure. Sure. So yeah. So most people get their information about Medicare either through a personal experience with a, a relative or friend that's going through it or through advertisements or a little bit of news here and there. So sometimes it's a bit of a crash course for people as they're approaching retirement to understand the difference between Medicare A, Medicare B, Medicare supplements, Medicare Advantage. So um, those are the main categories. So. Yeah. It gets real complicated real quick, but so again, the basics, right? What, when do I apply for Medicare? Is this something like I retire and then I go out and I sign up for it? Am I enrolled automatically? What, what happens there? Right. So let's take a perfect scenario. Somebody's retiring at age 65. Um, they're going to get their social security benefits. Um, at age 65 is when you can also, um, you take on uh, Medicare part A and part B. Essentially you have a seven month window. So you have three months prior to the date um, that you turn 65 and then that month and then three months following. And that's really your open enrollment period uh, to sign up for Medicare uh, Parts A, Part B, and um, also you'll want to look into a Medicare supplement at that point in time if uh, that makes sense uh, to have, which most do people it does. Do you get automatically enrolled like when you start taking Social Security? Yes, your Social Security. If you taking if you're taking Social Security, you are automatically enrolled in Medicare Part A uh, and Part B. Okay, so Part A, straighten me out here if I'm wrong. Part A is the hospital coverage. Correct. Uh, part B is the so-called medical coverage, right? Correct. Okay. Now it, I'm married. Do, do we have to have the same plan? Not at all. Okay. And, and it might be really important that you don't have the, the same exact plan. If one of you is on different uh, uh, medications or uh, undergoing treatment for something. So you really want to look into that closely. You do not have to be on the same plan as your spouse. Okay. How about... It, now, does Medicare cover long-term care? I was looking through this and there's, so there's the hospital part A and then there's part B, which is the medical coverage. But it, how about the long-term care right. aspect of it? It's a great question. Long-term care is really a, a hot button issue. It has been um, over the past 20 or 30 years as more people are seeing their friends or relatives go into nursing homes or receiving care at home. Um, so the, the short answer is Medicare is not designed to cover long-term care uh, the way we define long-term care. And that's helped with day-to-day -day activities like eating, dressing, bathing. It's also known as custodial care. Um, okay. me Medicare does 
offer some coverage uh, if it's in a skilled facility um, or in a hospital, things like rehab coverage. Um, but really, it's not designed to cover those activities of daily living. And that's the, really the bulk of what long-term care is. Right, right. So does now does Medicare cover nursing homes? Uh, Medicare Part A only covers skilled care given in a certified nursing facility for individuals who meet certain conditions. So those conditions might be a three-day prior hospitalization. Um, they might have to enter a facility within a certain number of days. And it's really only designed to cover medical care. Um, and there's also a limitation for the number of days that Medicare will cover. Um, it's typically all costs for the first 20 days. And then there's a period from days 20 to 100 where it only picks up a certain point percentage of that cost. Right. Okay. So let me circle back here. Since Medicare doesn't cover what we think is long-term care, what most people think of as long-term care, do I need long-term care insurance? It's a good question. I know it, not, not everyone everybody. hates to talk about insurance because, <laughs> you know, we have to admit our own mortality, whether Correct. it's life insurance or Correct. disability. But again, we're, tr- we're trying to be forward thinking here. So how should I be thinking about a long-term care policy? Yeah. From a planning perspective, it really depends on your personal situation. Long-term care insurance is not right for everybody. Right. First off, you have to have a desire to protect your assets, a desire to remain independent in your own home for as long as possible. You have to have a certain number of assets to protect because sometimes if you're at a certain income level or certain asset level, it's a quicker route to go on Medicaid. And without getting too deep down the rabbit hole, Medicaid is really the welfare system or the, um, the, um, the system for those that have income uh, deficiencies for long-term care. So if you have assets to protect and um, you can afford a long-term care plan, it's certainly something to consider and educate yourself about. So there's some, there's some guardrails there, right? Definitely, definitely. I may not have enough assets that I need to protect or I may have enough assets that I can almost self-insure. Sure. Is that right? So Absolutely. there's a, kind of a specific window. And I guess it really comes down to each person's specific situation, sure. right? Sure. Your right. specific situation. Also things like family history, your current health situation. So there's a lot of factors there, but everybody's situation is different. Okay, Kevin. So what's the difference between Medicare supplement insurance and Medicare Advantage? It's a good question. Medicare supplement insurance, it's also known as Medigap. Right. Essentially comes in and fills in the gaps where uh, Medicare um, has co-pays and co-insurance. It's private insurance that you can buy to pay for some of the costs not paid for by the original Medicare, which is parts A and part B. Medicare Advantage is an alternative to the original Medicare. Um, It's essentially kind of a a one-size-fits-all replacement, but it's a different way really to get your Medicare benefits. It's somewhat new. Okay. What factors make a difference when deciding between a Medicare Advantage or which part C and the HMO and the PPO. Did I say that right? You did. Okay. So, so essentially within Medicare Advantage, you have some choices if you decide to go that route. Um, and you have a, an H, a standard Medicare Advantage HMO plan or a PPO plan. And, and it's similar to those that understand um, when they had their insurance, when they were working, they may have had choices at their employer whether they wanted to choose an HMO plan or a right. PPO plan. Uh, so essentially- Yeah, the with, gold, high deductible, the silver, the, you know, the whatever, right. Right, right. right. Okay. So, so with the HMO plan, the highlights are with most, most plans, the Medicare Advantage options are you have lower out-of-pocket expenses, uh, but you do have to go to certain doctors within a network. 
Um, but it may also include a prescription drug plan. Whereas um, with a Medigap or a Medicare supplement plan, you had to purchase a separate um, uh, drug plan, essentially the Part D plan. But many retirees and seniors that, you know, they seek out HMO plans and Medicare Advantage because there are some cost savings. Um, the Medicare Advantage PPO plans, on the other hand, you can stay in network or go out of network to see your doctor. So if you have a specific doctor that's not within the HMO network, that might be a better decision for you. Right. Um, the monthly premiums are potentially higher than a Medicare Advantage HMO plan. Um, and the out of network costs potentially higher than staying in network. But it is sometimes advantage advantageous to the person who has a doctor that's not within in their network or somebody they're partial to seeing. And they may look at the numbers and say it's worthwhile to go that route. Um, and it may also include a prescription drug plan. Okay. Well, speaking of the prescription drug plans, how do they differ? That's that's part D, Medicare Part D. Correct. And so that would be if you had a Medicare supplement plan, you didn't have a Medicare Advantage plan, you'd have to uh, decide whether or not to get a, a drug plan, a Medicare Part D plan. Um, each Part D plan has its own formulary or list of covered generic and brand name drugs. It's really important to understand that because each year, certain drugs may fall out of that uh, classification with a perspective a specific carrier. So a specific insurance company may have a drug that one year was formulary or generic, and then the next year it isn't. So what I do with my clients each year is at the open enrollment period, which is in the fall, I make sure I get a list of their medications and make sure we don't get blindsided next year on the plan uh, with a, a cost, an out-of-pocket cost that we didn't expect. So we want to make sure, especially if the plans change or if your drugs change, that you're within a plan that uh, that covers the most for you and fits your particular needs. Okay, so now you have my head spinning <laughs> with all these different parts. Sure. How do I know whether or not it's better to get the Medicare Advantage plan, the original Medicare, with a Medicare supplement or with a Medicare supplement plan? Yeah, it's it's really going to depend on your particular situation. Everyone's healthcare needs are different, so to find the right plan for you, it's best for you to reach out to a licensed plan representatives for more, more information. Uh, working so with somebody like myself, so you understand what the particular plans cover, and really you want to be um, aware of what drugs that you're that you're on and that you are going to be needing, um, especially drugs that you take on a regular basis, because that really can affect what plan that you choose and what company you go with as far as an insurance uh, carrier. Yeah, I'm lucky because I can just walk down the call, the hall and say, Kevin, what do I do here? <laughs> <laughs> now, how do Medicare supplement? or those Medigap plans, how do they differ from each other? Is it just price? Yes, yeah, so it's a good question. Medicare supplement or Medigap plans, letters A through N, offer different levels of coverage. But each letterhead plan includes the same coverage regardless of the carrier and location. So to give you an example, a United of Omaha plan might, um, if it's a Schedule G plan, it might have the exact same benefits with a few slight bells or whistles that are different uh, from a... Um, United Insurance Schedule G plan. So the plans are going to essentially have the same benefits that correspond to the same um, letters as far as the coverage goes, but there just might be some small different bells or whistles. Okay. Like I said, I'm glad I have you here where I can just walk down the, the hall and ask you what I should do. What questions do you think that, what, what questions haven't I asked that you think are important for people to know? I think some of the things that come up um, that we, we didn't cover, uh, you know, certain people, if they, um, let's say they're disabled, you know, when can they get Medicare? Um, and that's something that comes up for people because when you're filing for social security disability, 
Um, you think about what's my health insurance or what's my health care um, component of that. So in general, if you're eligible for Medicare after receiving Social Security disability benefits for 24 months. So if you're receiving Social Security disability benefits for 24 months, you can file for Medicare coverage. Uh, there are exceptions for people with, it, with certain medical conditions, but really that's the general rule. Um, so that's something that's important for people if they know there's a disability component to their Social Security benefits. Um, they want to know that they have to be on the uh, Social Security disability benefits for 24 months before it kicks in. Another thing that you didn't ask, which comes up a lot, is what if I retire before age 65 or before Medicare eligibility? Um, it's it, it's really important for people these days that, you know, if they, who want to take early retirement right. and it's, it's, it's something that comes up quite a bit. So essentially in retirement, if you have reached 65, most people have Medicare and Medicare supplement choice to make. But if you're retiring early for some reason, you'll want to make sure you understand the current benefits that you have, because that's probably going to change during retirement. So do you have an a, a, a option to continue with your group plan? Uh, do you have uh, a certain number of years you've worked or reached an age where you can become vested for certain health benefits? And that really depends on everybody's situation, right? Everybody's a little bit different. You can attend workshops or read literature about your employer benefits um, or go to your, your uh, OPM or your HR department. Uh, but really, you're going to want to understand those um, options before retirement because you don't want to be rushed to making those decisions. Uh, some plans will allow COBRA provisions. Um, in, in some scenarios, if you don't have a plan option, you may have to go out to the exchange or go out to the individual marketplace to look at insurance options. And right. it's important to have a good advisor. Right. Right. All good stuff, Kevin. Um, but I want to make sure that, I'm, you know, that's a lot of information sure. that you cover. Sure. And I'm sure there are people out there who have questions. How do they reach you? Well, the best way to reach me. They can me, just pick up the phone and call you, right? Give a call to the okay. office here and, and. You know, we're, we're pretty responsive to getting back to people within um, a, a short period of time. My office number is 301-770-5234, and that's extension 206. Can they shoot you an email? Yeah, shoot me an email. That's actually sometimes a great way because then I can get uh, back to you and, and I can see it on my phone. And um, that is kpeters at xmlig.com. And that uh, stands for XML Insurance Group. Terrific. Thank you so much for coming on today, Kevin. I'm trying to make a sense out of this complicated subject. It <laughs> can be. We'll have you back on because I know there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about. We can talk about the, the government health plans and, uh, you know, what small business, I know you do a lot with small business owners and, and all that good stuff. But, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on today. If you got questions for Kevin, give him a call, email him. He's here to, to answer them for you. He'll help you out any way that he can. I know Kevin for a long time. Folks, that's all we have time for today. We'll be back next week, but remember until then, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. 
Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.